0: Welcome to the Nash Biz Podcast, a podcast specifically for business owners in Nashville, Tennessee. Whether you're seeking the best strategies for scaling your business, networking opportunities, or just plain old entertainment, this podcast is for you. Welcome to the show.
1: What is up, everybody? My name is Brady Morgan. I am the host of the Fist podcast here with my co-host and business partner, John Trusty. And today we have a very special guest, Jerry Rollins. Jerry's professional career began as a major league hockey enforcer, a team's tough guy. After leading five successful companies as CEO, partner, or owner, leading to several successful exits, he coaches hundreds of entrepreneurs now and CEOs with revenue ranging from $1 million to $3 billion to 3000000000 dollars and MBAs from prestigious universities, how to improve their businesses. Not bad for a high school dropout who made two game-changing, life-altering moves, studying extraordinary people to learn how they became the best in their fields, and two, writing down all their invaluable advice and insight throughout their own journey to the top. He also recorded every stage of the process, including the mistakes, level of commitment, and more as he applied the techniques he learned from those elite business leaders. Enforcer to entrepreneur, achieving hockey stick growth in life, Business and Sports is the foolproof playbook he created from that collection of proven strategies. Jerry, how's it going, man?
0: Doing well. Thank you for having me today.
1: Yeah, I appreciate you coming on. That is quite the bio, and there's a lot of different things that you've done throughout your life and career. But let's say me and you are on an elevator. We're on floor 10. We're going down to floor one. You have to introduce yourself to me entirely before we get to the ground floor.
0: What would you say? That's a great way to lead off with an elevator speech. So I had three stages in my life. I was an athlete first, then I went into business, and then I sought significance in that order. And uh, the best thing I ever did in my life and my crowning accomplishment is a marriage of 44 years. So too often people lead with how many business or sports successes they had. But the best thing I ever did was married an amazing woman who, uh, help guide me along the way.
1: No, I, and, and a lot of people take that for granted, your support system. And I, I thoroughly believe the relationships you have around you, especially your spouse plays a huge role in where you end up. Cause you need that support. You need that love. You need someone that you want to go home to and de-stress and, you know, vent to whatever the case might be. But Jerry, I, I think the best way to start this out, there's a wide range of things you've done, right? Athlete, business owner not every athlete becomes a business owner. Not every business owner can say, yes, I was a professional athlete. So as your professional hockey player, did you want to be a business owner one day? If not, how did that journey come about? If you did, how did you shift your mindset from, okay, I'm no longer an athlete. I have to build something from the ground up now.
0: Um, Great question. So, you know, growing up, my father uh, was a professional athlete as well. So um, growing up in a family where I was probably the worst athlete, my father has won the Triple Crown in the NHL, which is the Stanley Cup, the Vesna Trophy, and the Hart Trophy, which is the league MVP. My sister was a collegiate volleyball player who won a national championship. My brother was a better hockey player than I, but I was the aggressive one, so whether it be in school or in, in business, I always liked business even better than sports. So while going to high school, I always had two, three jobs. I was always top salesperson. I worked in a clothing store and that was, that really turned me on. I was a reluctant athlete. It was more of a, I was kind of a troubled teen, uh, during my teen years had, you know, good foundational values, but, uh, dropped out of school and was given the option of you can go to school full-time and refocus go get a job which the jobs up in canada at the time without a high school education were the mill or go work the oil rigs and uh or you can go away and play hockey i chose gate number three or door number three and so it wasn't like i grew up going i'm going to be a professional hockey player i just backed into it and you know fast forward Three years later, I was a high draft choice. Four years after that, you know, the average career in professional hockey is four years, and I was average. So even though I was a high draft choice, I was an enforcer. Um, at the time in the 70s, hockey, there was a bad economy in hockey. There were too many leagues and too many teams, and not enough sound economic fundamentals. So teams in the NHL and WHA were going out of business. I had three three three-year contracts in four years. So add up, I had nine years worth of contracts in four years. Uh, Ended up getting a lot of the money, but I determined I wanted to control my own destiny. And I could control my destiny by going into business and being a goal scorer as compared to an enforcer. Mm -hmm. And a goal scorer in business means you produce revenue, right? Right. Luckily, my first job, I got great fundamental training which I still carry to this day. And we grew the company. I had entry-level sales because I couldn't get any other job because I didn't have an education. We grew the company, uh, had a very successful exit. And I learned about equity in business. So my next four jobs, I had equity positions. I was a hired gun for equity. So I'd go into small private companies, accelerate their growth with an exit in mind. I proved to be good at it. And so when I sold my last company 10 years ago, people started asking me to advise them on how to do that. So I founded Sage Executive Group, because when I was in my early 30s, I felt like I had a lot of sports experience, but not a lot of business experience. And so I joined a peer group, which is where I gained a lot of my knowledge about business through the years by learning from others.
2: Absolutely. I want to I want to touch on something you said aggressive. uh, That was that's how you described yourself when we were talking about hockey and moving into the pro area and business. How how does that aggressive uh, nature and mindset help you in business?
0: Well, you know, I'll point to kind of my first sales job. So I was the worst salesperson out of twenty salespeople when I started because I didn't know what I was doing. Right and. When you talk about significant other and the support you get from that person, I remember going home on my 90th day and saying, you know, I'm outworking everybody, but it's just not happening. And I was going to go back and play hockey, as a matter of fact, up in Edmonton, because I still had a contract. And my wife at that time, she doesn't really recall this, said, you know, you're going to be like every other former athlete if you do that. If you walk away when the going gets tough, you know, you never did that when you were in sports. So don't do it now. It turned me around i went in and just slayed it from that time forward so i think making business a game is what i always did so everything had a score and so at that point in time i said okay my fourth month i'm salesperson of the month i'm never gonna let that position anybody else have it again so for 34 months i was salesperson of the month Actually, I wasn't. I was salesperson in the month, 32 of 34. I came in second twice. So, and, you know, 40 years later, I still remember that because I hate coming in second.
2: Right. (laughs) Competitive nature. Yeah.
0: It's, just you know, so I applied it. I made a game of it. So anytime I entered a company and I looked at their revenues, I would plot out what effect I thought I could have on that company and lay it out and say okay if they're at a you know a million in revenue i think i can get them to 10 in two years and here's how i'm going to do it and i'd write a game plan and then i'd stick to the plan i'd go out and hire the people and then i you know celebrate the successes and hey along the way there was a lot of failures you know i'm not here saying oh i was great at everything i'm i'm not the smartest guy in any room but i do know how to work and i am competitive So I'm going to go after anything with a good plan and just focus myself on the goals at hand.
1: No, I I love that because, you know, Jerry, we had a conversation prior to the podcast a few weeks ago and we talked about, you know, I, I didn't play sports at the level that you did, but I played college soccer for a year. It's a tough, it's intense, but to get to any sort of level, that next level in sports, you have to have that competitive nature, which translates very well over into business because in business, everybody wants to win. Just like sports, everybody wants to win. So you have to be able to push yourself forward. But kind of switching gears here, in your bio, you talk about how you coach hundreds of entrepreneurs and CEOs, revenue ranging from $1 million a year to $3 billion, you know, whatever the case might be, small to large companies. Now, I imagine that these CEOs, probably have similar problems just different scales of that problem would you agree with that or do you think billion dollar companies have much different problems than million dollar companies
0: so i will say many of the issues are the same but i will share with you that i believe in segmenting our ceo forums by revenue Because I do feel that when you're in growth, that one to four million revenue stage, you have different issues than you do from five to 50 and from 50 million plus. But I have seen the issues are the same throughout any of those organizations. It's about, you know, who do you have on your team? Are you, you know, what are you doing to get better? What's consistent amongst all of these CEOs I work with? I will share with you that some of the oldest, most successful CEOs I work with work more at educating themselves than other folks who are much younger and think they're successful. It's about so, like
1: Warren Buffett reading what five hours a day or something similar to that.
0: Yeah. And, you know, Warren and I share that one habit. Of course, he's got about billion more than I do. (laughs) If if he's got $40 billion, he's got about $40 billion more than me. But he and I share, I will tell you that when I meet people, I ask them, do you read? Because one thing is, you know, I was a good student until I got, uh, until I left school. But my mother taught me to read at a very early age. I still read I'm an animal about books. I read three books a week. I read all day long every day. And when I'm not reading, I'm listening to audiobooks when I'm exercising. So, what I've learned is many in your generation like to multitask and work out while they listen. I think that's great. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think listening to a book is just can be just as good as reading. I just find that my comprehension for how I learn. And I think most males learn this way is visually reading and, you know, seeing it is important. So, so I, although I like audiobooks, I retain more when I do visually look at it and take a picture of it. Yep. In, in my I, mind.
2: I don't read quite as much as Brady. Brady's a, a book machine as well, but I, I do love reading. Uh, one, the, the big struggle I had at first was finding books that were relevant. So do you have any advice on to how you find a book that's relevant for you at the moment so that you're engaged and and you're focused on it and and you can really retain it and tie it into something that you're working on?
0: Great question. I'm an app freak. Blinkist, B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. Blinkist reads every book that's produced in the business world or in most worlds. You can subscribe to it for free, I think, for 30 days. And Blinkist will give you a five-minute audio version or written version summary of any book that you want to read. So I use Blinkist to determine what I'm going to read further. So I I hate to start a book, read a chapter, and go, "This sucks," and throw it away.
2: Me too. too.
0: (laughs) So I believe there's an app for that, and then I also have trusted friends that are like me that we, whether it be movies or series or music or books. We share everything and we talk about all that stuff. So your network is, uh, you know, the five people you hang out with the most mm-hmm. are who you become. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: No, I, I think it comes down to being very, I think deep down, it comes down to time management, being selective of where you spend your time. Because I'm a big believer. I'm a, I'm a big reader. I don't read three books a week, but I read one book a week. Um, it has to be relevant to what I'm doing. Current in that current moment or current stage in my life. Because if it's not relevant, in my opinion, it's a waste of time to me because how can I apply this knowledge? And if it's not relevant, I can't really apply it. I'm just reading just to read. Um, I am not a big believer. This is something that people suggest. I'm not a big believer in highlighting in your books. I think uh, I'm bad at it. So maybe it's just a skill I got to learn more. Yeah, I'm, but I'm a big believer that highlighting in your books, for me, it takes away from... The story that the book is telling. So, if I stop to highlight a, a, a single phrase, what is that? The overall context of that phrase, I miss it because I'm trying to highlight a single word. But nonetheless, that's just me. I completely agree with you. I think knowledge is power, but I think knowledge is power when it's uh, applied, and I think a lot of
0: people miss that mark. I would concur with you. So, <laughs> I, I think you know some of the best books in in on my website and in the back of my book. I list. The dozen or 15 books that I think are timeless, some of them are 50 years old, Mm -hmm. but still have value. Some of them were written in this last year, but I think there are books that are timeless about subject matters that it doesn't matter what generation you're from. They're great to apply to your life.
2: Try to reread uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People once a quarter. It's the (laughs) most relevant
1: book always.
0: It's it's one on the list.
1: <laughs> I, I they can so grow rich. They can grow rich yeah. is an older book, too. They right? can grow rich. Uh The
0: Go Giver is only 10 years old, is a great book. Uh my book on you know evaluating performance evaluations of people is a 50-year-old book. You know, so yeah, it's um good knowledge and, and information is timeless, but A successful trait I've seen amongst people are one of my mentors who died at 95 ran a peer group until he was 94 and very significant gentleman in how he lived his life, but he was a constant learner until the day he passed. I mean, I swear he probably passed away reading a book and gaining knowledge. That's awesome.
1: What, when, when a CEO or a business owner comes to you, and they have a problem that needs to be solved. What, do you have a, a three, five, ten-step process that you go through with them to help them solve said problem?
0: Yes, there's ten stages. The first thing I do is I don't let them come and... Uh, I'm going to use the correct word, vomit on my desk. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a cleanup artist. So part of, part of what I, what I want to do with anyone is I have a process, first describe the problem, determine if it's really the problem. And there is a 10-stage process. What resolutions or, or they've come up with thus far to the problem? And walk through, is it really a problem? I mean, there's three ways to handle a problem. Ignore it, deal with it or you know, uh, pretend it's not there. <laughs> so I think a lot of times people think they deal with things or they deal with challenges with not enough data or information and they make bad decisions. So I think really taking time if it's a real issue to analyze it, get feedback and then do the right thing. I believe in dealing with things once as compared to dealing with it multiple times. Just like when you get an email, you should only handle it once, right? You shouldn't right. kick it to your outbox and then put it in another box and then do another, handle it once, address it immediately.
1: Yep, exactly. Well, with that too, I, I think if you mess up once, it's a failure and that's fine. We learn through failure. If you mess up again on that same thing, you have now made a mistake. Yep. And mistakes are what I think kill businesses um, because you're not learning that this failure can't happen again. It, it just can't. So someone comes to you, they, they need to understand their problem. And it's interesting because we just talked to a gentleman the other day who does something similar to this, where it's solving big problems. Mm-hmm. Now, if I come to you and I say, Jerry, I got this problem. Um, I, I, I know exactly what the problem is. How do I address myself or my team on actually solving this problem?
0: So I think getting feedback is no one has all of the answers. You know, the only difference between you and I is about 40 years in age. So with, with age, you gain knowledge and experience, but the power of a group is better than the power of one. So the, the best thing you can learn is, you know, I don't have all the answers uh, I'll, I'll, and I'll point to this. When I decided to sell my last company, I didn't know what I was going to do. I was kind of lost. I was drifting. I, I just felt, you know, it was only about 30 days, but I had the money, I had the freedom, but I felt like I was of no value to the world anymore. I had a successful marriage, financial independence but I felt lost and I was working with about 20 clients who wanted me to advise them. But I always felt like half the time I was saying, you know, I don't have the answer, but here's where you can get it. Right. And so that's where the idea of peer groups came to me again as you know, the power of a group looking at an issue and as the coach of that group, me withholding my solutions is the most important part of managing that group and letting others come up with solutions as compared to me. And that's teaching as compared to doing.
1: Right. Because like too that. often
0: well, entrepreneurs do everything themselves and they have every answer. And that's a failure in anyone, the inability to learn and listen from others.
2: You're not the first person that's, that said that either. No, no. no. Um, So going back to your bio real quick, studying extraordinary people to learn how they became the best in their fields and then writing down all their invaluable advice and insight throughout your own journey. Talk about that a little bit for us and, and where did you get that idea from? And, and how, how did that help you along your journey to the top?
0: So, you know, growing up in sports, so you know, my father was a professional athlete, so I grew up in a locker room. And then my dad became a college coach, a professional coach. So I learned that the habits of the super successful, they all had the same habits. And they all really, very seldom were those super successful people, especially in hockey when I look at it, the ones that I hold on a very high pedestal, which you would know their names, even though you're very young, people like Gretzky and Messier and Gordie Howe and Frank mahovlich these are legends, right? They were the hardest working best students of every game. They always worked at it. And what's consistent amongst all of them is they all went into business and did extremely well. They applied that learning. So I think as you What I started doing is I've always been a reader and I've always been a note keeper. The only difference between my notes today and my notes 40 years ago is I still have those journals. And so when somebody that I respected said something that stuck in my mind, I wrote it down. And I remembered when they said it, the day they said it. The only difference now is I keep it in Evernote and it's on all my devices. And so every conversation I've had with Brady is written down anything he said that I thought was of value, I wrote down. Yeah, I love that. So so if I want to talk to Brady five years from now, he's going to go, wow, this old guy remembered something I said five years ago. <laughs> and if you can teach other people to use those same tools that I've learned. So I became a journal guy and wrote it down. And then through the years, people would call me and say, I've got a problem. And I'd say, okay. I'm going to send you something to read. After you read it, call me back and tell me what your issue resolution is. Or I'm going to connect you with somebody. So part of that issue resolution is having content you can pass on to people, right? Yep. And so I during the COVID crisis, I had wrote down in 1999 when I first might sold my first company, I'm going to write a book. And I just wrote it down. I said I'm going to put all this stuff in one place. So you know, two years ago, I finished that book and did it and published it. And I kind of put everything in a placeholder. So when people called me, I could send it to them.
2: That's awesome. That's I, powerful. I, yeah, I believe in if it's not written, it's not real. So I, I like that a lot.
1: So do you think that learning is a skill? Because think about people who first start out of wanting to study the great people and read the books and take the notes sometimes you suck at it at first. Cause you don't know, you don't know what you don't know. Do you, do you think learning is a skill and do you think you're considerably better at this than you were say 10, 20 years ago?
0: I'm better today than I was a year ago. And I will be better in 10 years than I was, than I am today, because that's just part of my, um, uh, my passion is to be well informed. Um, And this is, this is a warning my wife made to me when I started Sage 10 years ago, she said, you know, Jerry, you might, when you cease to be relevant and current, you will have no value.
2: That's big. (laughs) And you know what?
0: She speaks the truth. So if I'm not relevant and I'm not current and I don't understand technology and how it can help you in business, I have no value. Yep. No, you, you, you have to adapt to the times. You have to. Yeah. But, you know, I find part of what keeps me relevant is being a step ahead of people your age. That, that's the competitive part. I try and keep up with guys like you and girls that are young and current and have a lot of knowledge. And I learn just as much from 20-somethings as I do from 70 somethings. Absolutely,
1: I definitely agree with that. I think everyone has knowledge to give. Um, everyone's at different stages in their life. It's just what can I take from this that I don't know yet.
2: Yeah. So, Jerry, we've talked about a lot so far unpacking your entire journey. Uh, for listeners out there, if you had one piece of advice, or or three pieces of advice, or thirty seconds of advice to help, they maybe maybe they're just now starting their journey, or maybe they've been along the way and they're on their year three of a business what would that piece of advice for them be?
0: So my entire life has always been about hanging out with people that elevate me. (laughs) So I'm not saying I don't have some of my best friends are from childhood from, you know, when I was 13, 14, 15 years old, and they're still dear friends, but I'm constantly making new friends making new connections because i'm just hungry to learn from other people and you know you become like those you hang out with so i'll enlighten it to when i started out in sales hanging out with great salespeople made me better because i was competitive every time i moved up from leaving my neighborhood town to go away and play major junior where i was the worst player in the league Well, you know, two years later I was a top top draft choice. It's not because of skill. It was because of my behaviors and constant practice. So, you know, we earlier talked about somebody by the name of Drew Brees, who has a big name. You know, I used to live in his neighborhood and what I'll tell you about, it's probably not God given talent that helped him win a Super Bowl and break all the records. I used to see him leave his home at six in the morning and come home at eight at night, while still being a great father, husband, and community member. Yeah. That's excellence. Mm -hmm. So I observed his behaviors. I observed a guy by the name of Tony Gwynn, who still has some batting records, and got to know him before he passed away. So excellence, whether it be in business and sports, is not an accident. So who you hang out with, is important. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, they say too, you know, I I thoroughly believe that luck is involved as well, but luck, as we all know, is where opportunity and hard work meet. So work work ethic is massive. I don't believe that um, people out there value work ethic as much as they used to. A lot of people think things should be handed to them. That could be our generation. It could be technology, whatever the case might be. But nonetheless, it's timeless that, you know, work hard, create opportunities for yourself, and don't stop. And I think uh, that that formula, that combination is a winner right there. So Jerry, I appreciate you coming on. As we close, where can somebody reach out to you, whether it's a piece of professional or personal advice or professional or personal question? You're a very approachable person. Um, So how can somebody get in touch with you?
0: So on my website, I have a personal website just under my name, jerryrollins.com. Anybody can go there, connect with me. I return every email or phone call I get all of them, And I don't care. Um, And I'll give you an example. So my hockey cards are still circulating. I get about one a month from all over the country, all over North America. And it's funny because I got one this last week from somebody I can't remember. Oh, Tucson, Arizona. And so I posted it on Facebook and said, God, these things are still showing up. <laughs> but uh, uh, I always return those because, you know, that young man or woman, whoever sent it to me, took the time to put it in a self-addressed envelope and send it to me. I think it would be inappropriate not to return it with a thank you for <laughs> So, um that's what people that I respect, that's how they conduct themselves. And I've learned that lesson from them.
1: No, absolutely. And and I will attest to that as well, that you sent me a book and a notebook. So it just shows the type of person you are. But Jerry, I, I appreciate you coming on. I think there's a ton of nuggets here and a ton of advice that you've given about your journey through professional athlete to a uh, successful business owner and now a coach successful one at that so thank you for coming on thank you for your time and we wish you all the best
0: i appreciate you both thanks jerry thank you for listening to this episode of the nash biz podcast we post new episodes every single week and we'd greatly appreciate if you would subscribe and leave us a review on apple podcasts we'll catch you next time